0: I'll give you the analogy. Would you plant a seed in cement? And the answer is no. Of course I wouldn't. Because it's not going to grow. There's no soil there. And that's such a visual image of how obvious it is. But yet we do that all the time. If, if your messages are seeds and your audience isn't ready, you're planting a seed in cement. Get it through your head. And I say that with love. But just surrender to that reality. Your audience if they're not ready for your message, if they're stressed, they're focused on their world. And guess what, you're focused on yours too. So am I. I got my own things I gotta do. Why am I listening to you? Why are you listening to me? We're not entitled to people's attention. We have to be able to earn it.
1: It's time to get inside your own head. Begin with the psychology behind your behaviors and fuse it with an acute understanding of self-awareness, emotion, storytelling, body language, and more. Then look at it all through the lens of the latest neuroscience research, broken down to its most digestible form, and you've arrived. Enhanced messaging, deeper connection, heightened influence, and a greater impact on the world. Welcome to the Neuroside of Influence and Leadership. With Renee Rodriguez,
0: all right. Welcome back to today's episode, and I want to I want to talk about this concept of sequencing today. And this concept of sequencing is probably I mean, it's probably the first thing that we got to really start nailing down. When you understand influence, and you're understanding managing change, you're understanding how to move an audience, you have to understand influence. If you're trying to manage, you're trying to lead, you have to understand the, the sequence behind influence, and that. Sequence begins in the brain because that's, again, the same, the one thing we all have in common. And when you understand that people process information in a certain sequence, then you realize and you know that your purpose of speaking is so that people actually hear you. I know that sounds trite. (laughs) I laugh because I, do I even need to say that? But I see so many people and leaders just speak with the assumption that because they're speaking, that people should listen, and I want to quote Mark Cuban. If you've never watched Shark Tank, watch Shark Tank because it's, it's, in a, it's just a great show. Sometimes you'll get, and Shark Tank is the show where you've got uh, four or five highly successful, some billionaires, investors, Damon John, Mark, Mark Cuban, you've got just really great people, and people will pitch their idea for looking for an investment, and every once in a while you get somebody that feels entitled to their attention, And they get upset, they get frustrated, and that's when the sharks will jump in and usually Mark Cuban will say, hey, hold on a second. It's not our job to listen to you. It's your job to make us want to listen to you. And I think that that level of ownership is so incredibly important and that philosophy is important. You can say he was being a jerk. You could say all sorts of things. But that's how life works. It's just how it is. And imagine if a teacher took that philosophy for a minute. It's, you know, I mean, I, I'll be honest, I fell asleep in class. I, I had it down where I could literally hold my head up and I could just tilt my head down perfectly. And if I had a hat on, I could take a nap and it looked like I was studying. I could even hold my pen as I was napping. And if the teacher was boring and spoke spoken a monotone voice, which most of the teachers did in neuroscience, then... You wonder, that's just human nature. You fall asleep. And one of our clients that really embraced us, he was a CEO of multiple organizations and billion dollar organizations. And he would tell the story about a big event that he put on, all his leaders from all over the country came together and they did the all out Texas barbecue. I'm talking about like all the ribs and, and brisket and chicken and sausage and I mean it was Ridiculous mashed potatoes and uh, mac and cheese. It was just you. If you've ever been had a Texas barbecue, this was it on steroids. Then people went and after lunch went into a room that was overly packed, not much air conditioning, and he dimmed the lights, and he went through his presentation in a monotone voice, and about a third of the audience fell asleep. Now this guy was furious, furious that people fell asleep. I mean, how how dare they fall asleep during a presentation that he put so much effort into? I mean, talk about the disrespect and the lack of, I mean, you name it. And he pulled them aside and he said, are you serious? He goes, let's just play out the humanness of what just happened here. You take any human being, you overfeed them, and then immediately after overfeeding them, you put them in a room, dim the lights, up the temperature, and you speak to them in a monotone voice, they're gonna go to sleep. And think about that in school. Think about that in your presentation. Think about how often we don't think about people's energy level, where they're at, before we start delivering a message. And, and here's the thing too, and I keep bringing this up, I've been doing this 27 years. And most of that time period has been, until recently now, convincing people that you gotta start with some things first that are more human. And I get to said, Well, we got a short meeting, so we got to get right to work. I said, Great. Your team hasn't even taken their jackets off yet. They're not even here. And you gotta have this meeting get right to business because you're frustrated business isn't getting done. And yet you wanna continue down the stuff that caused business not to get done. Here's the reality, folks. People have choices of where they work. They have choices. People are getting recruited everywhere right now. People are leaving jobs. In fact, Amazon paid people $5,000 if you quit because they realized I'd rather have somebody gone for $5,000 than have them stay disengaged. And so now, going back to sequence. Sequence is critical. We have to understand who we're dealing with. And it, and it comes down to, honestly, this, this, I'll give you the analogy. Would you plant a seed in cement? And the answer is no. Of course I wouldn't because it's not gonna grow, there's no soil there. And that's such a visual image of how obvious it is, but yet we do that all the time. If, if your messages are seeds and your audience isn't ready, you're planting a seed in cement. Get it through your head, and I say that with love, but just surrender to that reality. Your audience, if they're not ready for your message, if they're stressed, they're focused on their world, and guess what? You're focused on yours, too. So am I. I got my own things I got to do. Why am I listening to you? Why are you listening to me? We're not entitled to people's attention. We have to be able to earn it. And if you let's just let's go with biology, let's go with the neuroscience, let's go with the, the, how we're built first. Because everything else I, and this, is, this is a whole nother topic. Everything else is an assumption. Everything else is just really, truly invented. We take physical world, we, we take a physical world, right? This, here's a pen, this is physical, right? We created it. And we got this thing called money. And because we decided that money has value, it has value. But that's intangible. Money's paper. We invented the value. But we all agreed to the invention, so now it's real. That's what the cool, cool thing is about sort of the social side of reality, our social reality. There's physical reality, this mug, right? It's real. I can, I can tap on it. But we decided how we use it. So we form the physical into creating a social understanding. That's a whole other world. Aside from that, we have to deal with what we know first. That's the biology, the physiology, the neuroscience. And so that says that, here, follow this. We wouldn't plant a seed in cement. And why? Here's something that's critical. Nerve signals travel faster than hormonal ones. So let's break that down. Let's have some fun. Nerve signals. Of nerve signal is through the autonomic nervous system, right? It's it's a nerve signal. Hormonal one would be norepinephrine, could be serotonin, could be a neurotransmitter of some sort, right? Those hormonal ones that help us feel, all of those elements happen later, but the nerve signals happen first. So what does that mean? It means is is that all sorts of nerves are triggering and nerve signals are being sent before we're even consciously aware of what's going on or have the chance to feel. So if my message is triggering a nerve response or a nervous system response, then I want to know that because I don't want to trigger that before I'm trying to get some sort of emotional feel or, lo- or a logical intellectual understanding. So let's go back to this. You wouldn't plant a seed in cement, We've got nerve signals that are traveling fast. So what happens? So we have this thing called the amygdala, right? The, the whole fight, flight, freeze response, and we've heard it before where you're being presented with some set level of danger. You're either going to fight for your life, you're going to run for your life, and in some instances, you're going to freeze. But now, that's not what happens first. Those are the responses to it, but there's a bunch of stuff that happens first. So you have this thing called the amygdala, sort of this walnut-shaped piece in, located in your brain, sort of down at the base. The job of the amygdala is just to monitor information. And it's just looking. It's just like a radar. It's just looking and looking and looking and looking. But it's looking for something very specific for potential threats. And that threat, if perceived, physical, it's going to hit what we call the panic button. And so that panic button, it's the easiest way to understand. Remember, this is applied science. I'm I'm not I'm not a researcher, I'm not a doctor. I've just spent a lot of years doing it and reading about it and talking and learning. Yes, my background is behavioral neuroscience, but I have been out there saying, what the heck does this mean in the world? And when I talked to, to the researchers and the doctor, my job is to distill it. So let's think about it from this perspective. It's to monitor information, this panic button. Just imagine we all have a panic button. And when it perceives danger or a threat, it goes over to this thing called the thalamus. And the thalamus is a relay station. Now, this relay station is pulling information from all sensory input, everything. It's picking up everything. It's picking up when you pick something up and you feel it with your hand, if you smell something. And so, but the amygdala is about threat. And it goes over to the relay station and says, hey, there's a threat. And the thalamus, this is only seconds to be able to happen, sometimes a split second. And the thalamus has a connection to this thing called the hypo. And the hypothalamus controls and regulates bodily function, blood flow, and everything that's autonomic, right? Our breathing, our heart rate, digestion, all those things are automatic. You don't have to think about that stuff. This is a system one thing if you read Daniel Kahneman's book. It happens with or without your permission. It's self-regulating. It doesn't need somebody else's interaction. It's just going to happen. And so the hypothalamus is getting the message saying, hey, there's a problem. And the hypothalamus says, don't worry, I control blood, I control muscles, I control everything. I can shut digestion down and funnel all that blood to your fists, I can funnel it to your brain, I can funnel it to your muscles, out of your brain, excuse me, into your muscles, I can make you run faster. I can do all sorts of stuff, what do you need? Mignola says, well, we got this problem. Hypothalamus, no problem, let me talk to the ANS, that's the autonomic nervous system. And the autonomic nervous system has two parts, it has the parasympathetic, that's the relaxed response. Think about being paralyzed, right? Oh, I'm paralyzed. I'm so relaxed. That's just giving you a way to remember it. Right? And the sympathetic nervous system, which is the excitatory response. And so those two systems are what we call antagonistic. They cannot function at the same time. You can't have the lights on and off at the same time. It's just it's one or the other. So when you have those, when we're relaxed, our parasympathetic nervous system is paralyzing us into relaxation. Remember that? We're relaxed. And then we have the sympathetic nervous system. It's the excitatory one. And so hypothalamus says parasympathetic nervous system turn on and trigger the magic juice. We're going to call it noradrenaline. Okay? So noradrenaline is triggered. And noradrenaline, our blood vessels begin to constrict, our pupils dilate so we can see more and let in more light. And in essence, we become stronger and basically superhuman for a little bit. This is like the superhuman thing. I mean, it's, it's pretty cool. You know, people lifting cars, that whole all those stories doing miraculous things, jumping through the windows. This is the superhuman side of us. One that happens, then it triggers this thing called adrenaline, which we're familiar with. Now we're extra superhuman. That's even stronger. And then finally, after all that's done, but, by the way, here's what's crazy. This is the big, main message. All of this has happened, everything I just talked to you about, before your brain's cortex has even conscious understanding that there's a threat. I just need you to let that sink in for a minute. Your body has prepared itself to fight and protect or run or freeze before the brain even understands that there's a problem consciously. And so. The way we dress, how we walk to a car, your previous experience with someone, negative brand, all of those things, the company you work for, their past experience, you look like somebody who was a bully, your voice is eerily similar to that of an ex, who knows what it is. All of that stuff has the potential to trigger this little response. And when that response happens and you're saying, hey, let's talk about new ideas, innovation, let's talk about this product that I have, or whatever you do, whatever you sell, whatever you're trying to convince, the brain isn't listening. And this happens at a sort of an extreme level, but it also happens at a micro level. Either way, your audience isn't ready. In essence, the soil needs to be tilled. Sometimes we got to remove cement. Sometimes there's just dry soil, we just need to add a little water and till it, and then we can plant the seed. Sometimes people come to us with soil ready for any seed. You ever seen those people? They sit in your audiences. They come and they got the smile on the face, the pen in the hand, and they're ready to go. I love them. But that's not, it doesn't, anybody can influence somebody when they're ready. If we're really talking about the skill set, it's about how do we influence those that aren't ready? How do we inspire and engage those that are not engaged? Because you don't need my help. To engage those that want to hear it from you already. You you did your job. It's like going to Facebook and saying, posting something. All the people that are already engaged with this idea, that love it already, are going to say, hey, you're amazing. The ones that aren't are going to say, same thing, or they're just going to delete you and not listen. Real influence is the ability to spark the idea, and a new idea, in the mind of the opposition. Everybody can lead people that already agree with you. How do you say get somebody to say, wow, you know what, hold on a second. I never thought about it that way. So, all this stuff the fight, flight, freeze, the amygdala, thalamus, hypothalamus, autonomic nervous system to the sympathetic nervous system, noradrenaline to adrenaline. And then finally, we get to cortisol. Cortisol is the stress hormone. And cortisol is the one that is triggered for ongoing protection. It's just kind of just going to sit there. And it's going to sit there and be on alert. And so, when we talk about sequence, we want, to, we want to stop that whole process. If your message is important and all that stuff's going on, it's really hard to capture a new idea, to capture an apology, to hear sincerity. All of those things are very difficult. So we need to be able to begin with that. So let's talk about this concept called the three P's. And we're going to call it the three P's because this is, this is something that is it's going to come up a lot, but it's, it's something I want you to keep in the back of your mind. And the three P's stand for predict, preempt, prevent. So the, the, the good news is about human behavior is that it is predictable. It's basically very predictable. If you just learn to pay attention, the challenge is most of us don't pay much attention. We just speak and or we just assume or we're just too busy to stop and go through the exercise. But if we learn to just start paying attention to what's happening around us and how somebody might be feeling or even how we're feeling, now all of a sudden there might be an insight there. There might be something there that we can pull from. And this ability to stop and predict, you know—that's this whole thing you can also sum it up as slowing down to speed up. We're going to slow down to handle some things first. There's the sequence. To then later on speed up. We want to just start with speed. It doesn't work. It doesn't work with a workout, by the way, either. You can't just start running as fast as you can. You can't put 400 pounds and start benching it right away. You have to start by a warm-up. The brain, the listener, needs to warm up to you as well. All of that is there. Now, there's ways to speed the process. Some preemptive things that you can do. We'll go into those. Personal branding, writing a book, article, being a speaker. This is why we talk about being a speaker, by the way. The moment you get on that stage, you've solved a lot of this stuff, if you're good, okay, and you can connect. So this whole concept of slowing down to speed up, because human nature is predictable if we just start to say, ask the questions, we start diving into now some emotional intelligence or EQ. I remember 1995, I believe it was, and my mother got all of these things in the mail, these Time Magazine articles in the mail, and they all said on the cover, EQ. And it stands for emotional quotient. And this was when it first came out. EQ, Daniel Goleman, wrote the book Emotional Intelligence. And the concept was is that your IQ gets you hired, your EQ gets you promoted. So it was also sort of this revolutionary time that it was moving towards. They started realizing that IQ, your intellectual quotient, had no correlation to your success in life. And it used to be believed that the higher the IQ, the more successful So We focused on intelligence and we focused on being smart and book smart and getting tests and all that stuff. And then we realized that, God, I know a lot of smart people that just aren't all that smart. <laughs> or people smart people that are broke, that are not successful. And the study was groundbreaking because it looked at the CEOs where the C students and they hired the A students. The accountants and the attorneys require an entrepreneur or a leader that has the money or the budget to hire them. And usually that entrepreneur, sometimes they dropped out of school. I had a buddy of mine, Bradley. I heard him t- talk about this on stage you know, a couple months ago. If you're not following the real Bradley, go follow him. He's hilarious. And he's a brilliantly smart business person. And he sat up there and he goes, well, I've got two PhDs. I've got uh, three MBAs. And I, I kind of went through his whole list. And I was like, well, I knew this guy had something. And he goes, yeah, I hired them all. <laughs> they all work for me. And I mean, that, that's an entrepreneur. Uh, I loved it. It was, it was hilarious. But it was also really, really, really smart. You know, it's, it's, he stays in his wheelhouse. Stay in your wheelhouse. But this whole thing, let's go back to emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence is really three things. One, it's self-awareness. The ability to understand how are you feeling. And even in the beginning of the book, we, we, we talk about, we start with self-awareness. Number one skill in leadership, self-awareness. How am I feeling? How am I affecting others? That's another. That's empathy. But self-aware is a big piece. Where am I at emotionally? If I'm frustrated, if I'm scared, and I'm not able to say it, and I'm entering a situation, and I'm like, oh, I'm fine. But clearly, you're nervous and scared. People are picking it up. And when you are that way and you're disconnected, people can't connect with you. And if you're trying to lead, you're trying to influence, and you're not aware of that, it's just game's over. So self-awareness is the first part of emotional intelligence. Then we get into the ability to have empathy and say, how are others feeling? So here's how I'm feeling. Well, how's my audience feeling? And if you can pick that up, body language and sequencing and facial expressions and context, just the stuff if we just slow down enough to pay attention to where they're at. Now, here's the thing. All this can happen instantly, really, really fast, but you have to stop and do it. And so how am I feeling? How's my audience feeling? And then we have to have the discipline to be able to change how we are interacting to better serve our audience, to get a better response. That discipline requires also skills. We need to have skills. Sometimes if I'm feeling a certain way, Maybe I need to learn how to breathe. Breathing is that superpower. It's that secret weapon of the elite. I'll probably do an episode on just breathing and and managing stress. But that ability to manage and perform, that skill set, whatever it is, taking a walk, or even just voicing it. Hey, sorry, I'm just a little bit frustrated today. I had such and such happen. It's nothing to do with you. So it's like they're they're predicting that, that my audience might misinterpret what I'm doing. So I'm going to get ahead of that, make sure that they do that before I say anything else. I mean, if you think about it, the sequence, you already follow it. A lot of you just that are listening already intuitively understand the sequence. Emotional intelligence also had, had this great study. And it was really to talk about, in fact, I'll share the study and we'll talk about it afterwards. What they did is they took four-year-olds, four- and five-year-olds, and they put, placed them in a room. And if you know four- and five-year-old, when they sit at a table, at a chair, the table is pretty close to their face, face height, right? And they put a little plate there and they put a marshmallow. And the researcher came in and said, you know, hey, Johnny, or... Sally, whatever the kid's name was, and said, "Here's a marshmallow. This is for you, and it's all yours. You can have it, or if you wait, I'm gonna go do something about for about 10 or 15 minutes. And if you wait and you don't eat the marshmallow, I'm gonna bring you a second one, and you can have two. So you can have this marshmallow now; it's yours, or you can wait till I come back, and you can have two. And they got up and they left, and they started, and they would film the kids." You can just YouTube this, by the way. I'll see if I can put it in the, in the notes. And the, the reactions were hilarious and so telling. You had some kids that would just stare at it and the, the discipline of saying, you know, you can see it in their faces, You don't touch it, don't touch it, be strong, be strong, sort of motivating themselves. Some kids just sat there and didn't care. I mean, waiting was not a big deal. Some kids didn't care and just ate the marshmallow. As soon as they stood up, they grabbed the marshmallow, put it in their mouth, and they started eating it. Some kids would stare at it and fight. One kid grabbed it, licked it, put it back. Another kid took a little nibble, put it back. One kid put it in their mouth and then pulled it out of their mouth and put it back. Another kid sat there crying because he wanted it so badly and he wanted two so badly and he was torn between the two. But it was so, I mean, one, it's adorable to watch, but it was just fascinating. And obviously, they studied these kids for many years afterwards, and they measured them on all sorts of different areas. And lo and behold, the ones that waited were more successful in all the areas they measured. But the study was, was really talking about the ability to delay gratification, self-regulation. Can I regulate myself first? That is a leadership trait. That is a trait that needs to happen for us. Remember, these are building blocks and concepts that build up to being able to be more influential. It's not just about magically learning a sequence or magically learning a tactic or a script. It's about being the right person. And if you don't have the self-discipline, if you don't have the self-control ability to regulate, let's begin there. And that's okay. And the self-awareness is saying, I don't have that. (laughs) Self-awareness, if I walk into a donut shop and I'm hungry, and let's say for me, I'm hungry, I just finished a long event and I'm going to be like, you know what, man, let's have one. And maybe that should be the right thing I do. You know, you only live once. But I kind of am at the place where I want to live longer. In this one time I live, I want to live longer. There's my system too, my longer-term brain thinking. But man, that short-term part of me, once it gets in there, think about a glass of milk, a donut, melting in your mouth, washing it down. I'm even making myself hungry. So, self-control, self-regulation. Somebody walks in the room and yells at you. Do you have the self-control to not yell back? Somebody in an audience Hackling you. What do you do? Do you have the self control to maintain and just listen? Your spouse attacks you. Do you attack back? Your kids do something. What's your reaction? So remember self awareness, self control, self regulation. So that was a big sort of component of emotional intelligence, but it was all there's, there's so much more to it in this piece. So going back to this predict, preempt, and prevent. The first one is the prediction. All this stuff is happening. Can you be self-aware of how you're feeling and how you might react to others? And do you have the discipline to make a change and help? Let's talk about some examples. And you know these examples already, by the way. The first one, you're you're delivering critical feedback, right? for areas for improvement, let's call them that. So we know when we we, we change the name, we don't start with, here's where you sucked. (laughs) You start with that and you trigger all of those nerve endings and nerve signals to start going in the opposite direction you need them to. So we also don't even start with, all right, well, here's what I think you can do to improve. Because even just getting feedback is stressful. It's an attack. It's not safe. Now, if you've got a long-term history with somebody, I've got people that we just begin there because we've done this so much. I already know they respect me. I already know that they love me and they care about me and all that. That stuff has been established. But... But when it's not established, what do we know about the sandwich? You start with what you liked, you give them the the corrective feedback, and you end with something else they did well. You sandwich it. That's a sequence. And we know that the brain is much easier. It's easier to receive difficult information when it's preceded with positive information. And then we end it with positive information because the last impression is the lasting impression. It It was Rich Voss. I never split the difference. I think he said something like that. But that lasting impression is is huge. But also is the the first impression, both of them, they both matter. We say, well, which one matters most? Both. Both. Got to manage both. And so, giving f- f- feedback in that sequence, and it's simple. Just because it's simple, it doesn't mean it's, we don't need to use it. You do need to use it. It's it's powerful. Again, why? Because I want my listener to be engaged. <laughs> That's it. I actually want my message to land on an ear that's receptive. Second one, I, so if you've ever been to one of my events and you know, keynotes are a little bit different, depends on the size. But if I've got an event, let's say we're doing an Engage course or something, we don't start with the content, have everybody stand up, control the room, manage the energy. Just by standing, all of a sudden, you're changing the body's chemistry. And I tell a little story about my mother being a nun. Thank God she's not a nun anymore. Usually, garners are laughing. If they don't laugh, it tells me how engaged they are. It's kind of my measure. And then I'll say, Well, if those of you who didn't laugh, someone will explain it to you later. And then those that got it will laugh even harder. Those that weren't paying attention going, What did I miss? And I said, Don't worry, she didn't stop being a nun because of me, which would have made a better story. Now, usually they're kind of like, Oh, got it. If mom was a nun, nuns don't have sex. I get it. Um, but now they did. And maybe oh, you, you see where I'm going. And so that's my way of sort of taking the temperature but now i've got them standing and told a little bit about myself in a way that kind of captured some attention it was intriguing and it's also unique and novel novelty is important a little bit of tension my ability to say if you didn't get it it creates just a little bit of attention triggers thing called norepinephrine novelty is a dopamine by the way so then i go i have them be a student of their experience so I'm not going to get into all. In fact, you know, I'm, I'm going to save the student of your experience because I want people to pay attention to how they feel. That's also the process of helping my audience build self-awareness as I'm talking. Some things I'm going to say are going to be repelling to you. Some people are going to, you know, be awesome. So I'm going to ask you to do things that are uncomfortable. Pay attention to the process. So bringing them really internally, but also then how are they feeling? Looking around, and we have people look around, and you'll see the body language and so how we're paying attention. Now, here's what's going on, by the way. I've got them standing. I've got them engaged. Now I've got them looking around at how they're standing and how others are standing. They're here now. People say, why do I start that way? Because now I've got my audience here. They're still here. And then so I'm going to have them do an exercise. It takes about 15 seconds, maybe 30, and then pay attention to how you feel afterwards. And I just have them shake hands with three people. Shake hands with three people. That's for keynote. If I'm in a group training, I'll have them literally stand in a circle, and we do this thing called the hello circle. I turn to my left, shake the first person's hand, go to the next person, shake their hand. Now, COVID environment, obviously, use caution, be smart, common sense. This is assuming we're in a safe environment here. Wearing masks all whatever whatever you need to for your area and for whatever's needed and wherever you're at. But shaking hands, hugging, some people hug, and then the, that person that I just did follows me, and the next person follows them, and it turns into this whole process, and within about 15 seconds, The the noise level in the room raises, people are laughing, they're connecting, and they're here. This is a sequence, right? We start here. People say, well, we don't have time for that. I said, well, first of all, how long did it take? It took about a minute and a half. to two minutes. And how'd they feel? Wow, we feel more engaged. I feel happier. Body language relaxes. People take up more space. Their minds are settled. They're comfortable. They're engaged. Two-minute investment to get that? That's going to save you the money. So the paradox here is that slowing down does help you speed up. But you got to have the discipline to do it. So building rapport on a sales call before you offer products and services. Who are you? Like, What's your ethos? Remember ethos, your credibility. Who are you? They're going to want to know this stuff. You don't just walk in and say, here's my value proposition. Oh, you listen. So tell me about your situation. Have you done anything like this before? Oh my God, how'd that go? What'd you love about it? That's fantastic. Oh, Tell me about oh, your kids. How many kids do you have? We know this. We build relationship first. And then once we relationships built, messages are much easier to, to, to be achieved. Now, here's the other piece. If you see this as just a technique, the world has gotten smarter. They know it. They feel it. They sense it the same way you do. We know disingenuous behavior. We can read it and feel it a mile away. And the, but here's the thing. You're disingenuous, and you get through, and someone lets you in because they trust first. You got one shot at that, and guess what? If they feel like that—that's what you did—was a technique, it's not going to work ever again. In chess, it's a thing called the Fool's Mate, and if you know the Fool's Mate move, you can beat somebody. I think it's like three moves. If they don't understand the Fool's Mate, they'll lose. But you know how many times you can get them? You can get them once, and they go, "Ah, Fool's Mate! You fooled me once." Not letting you do that move again. Happens in influence. You can fool them one time with your fake, genuine interest. That'll be revealed later. And you got through once. You're not going to get through it again. So let's not fools, mate. You got to find a place that you really value. You got to really fall in love with the process. Take an interest in people. If you really care about people, then listen. This is building rapport. Now, things you can do ahead of time. If you go to my website, meetrene.com. It's riddled with video, of really good video. I mean, we spent tens of thousands of dollars on these videos. Why? Because we want people to watch those first before one of our calls. And those videos create calm. Okay, this guy knows what he's talking about. Wow, people said that. That's cool. Okay, this is you know, we uh, it makes sense. If you invest the money, and the time, and the energy. And get the right people. right? You need to to get the right people at the table. The writers and the videographers and the editors and all that stuff. Now, also, write an article. Somebody reads your article first and then they meet you. It's awesome. If you write a book, our book comes out April 2022. Amplify Your Influence. Can't wait. Wiley. Picked it up. We're excited. That book will help. Now, we're also going to see, we're trying to get into the airports. We're trying to get it everywhere. It's already going to be in Barnes & Noble, Amazon, everything. Pre-sales are going to start soon. All that stuff. I can get a book in someone's hand. One, we can dive deeper into it, but the credibility builds first. They can see it first. Stage, being the one in front of the room. Massive, massive way of speeding the process of trust. Because of expertise and perceived influence. And so being good on that stage does so many things, so many things. But again, it's not the only way to do it. It's one of the ways. That's how you create leverage, compression, speed the process. So those of you who want to get in front of the room, start. If you want to start speaking, by the way, start now. Five people, two people, three people, it doesn't matter. Do it often. Do it as often as you can. Over and over and over and over and over again. And so the last one example I'll give you is sort of a drastic one. Went into a paper mill, and walked in. There was three unions. This one, and walked in, and we had the entire. We had nine union people, fifty people, all sitting in a circle. And nine of the union members had to be there because of their job. It was mandatory, but they didn't have to be there, emotionally or mentally. So they were there, and they decided to wear sunglasses and all have newspapers, and they sat next to each other, knuckle to knuckle, with the newspapers open. As a symbol of we're here, but we're not here. And at the time, my co instructor said, well, God, well, what are we gonna do? I said, Nothing. I said, Well, how are you gonna get them? They should put their papers down. I said, Why? I said, They're upset. That's why we're here. And he said, Well, how are they gonna listen? I said, Here's the thing if you were in their scenario and they felt like they had no voice, wouldn't you do that? Because so when people have no voice, predictable behavior, they do things like this. So me, instead of me saying, wow, they're jerks, we are going to look at where, where it comes from, from their perspective. Well, they, they feel like they haven't been listened to, they haven't been heard. Well, let's start with that. If that's if the behavior, because we say, well, I see how they're behaving, it tells me everything. No, well, it doesn't tell me about who you are. Underneath the behavior, underneath the waterline, tells me what's going on. Because if I just look at behavior, it says, "Wow, that was kind of cruel, jerky behavior. Or I can go, no, that makes perfect sense based on how they're feeling, just how it is. Look at society right now. Whether you agree with it or not doesn't matter. It doesn't matter when it's come to understanding. Understanding saying, okay, based on how they might be feeling, I can see why. That comes from Republicans and Democrats and black, white, Hispanic, yellow, I don't care. If we do that, now it's easy to say, but when someone's behavior is triggering your values or triggering you in in some sort of way, remember all that stuff we talked about, the thalamus and that's all going on. This is why the self-regulation piece is so critical. Can I self-regulate past this? Or when I get triggered that way, can I go take a deep breath and go, hold on a second. There's probably a story here. It's not easy to do, but let me tell you, life becomes so much easier when you can. Your ability to connect with people increases when you can. Racial issues, racial tension, this all comes down to this. So, and you remember, this is all made up. For some reason, we chose skin color. Why don't we choose eyes? Right? I got eyes that are brown, and sometimes on the right lighting, turn a little hazel and green. So why am I not subset it? That's a whole other conversation. Now, let's go back to this. They're there, sunglasses, newspapers. And so I told them, I told my co instructor, I said, just sit back and don't get nervous, but we're going to do something a little different. So I knew the first thing I had to do was get their attention. They were frustrated. And so I said, well, I'm glad to be here because finally somebody showed up who knows what they're doing. And. One of the guys kind of, you know, they tilt one part of the piece of paper down and looks over the, looks over the edge like, what? Did this guy just really just say that? I said, because clearly you guys don't know what you're doing. And they had to bring an outside consultant in here. And finally, I'm sure I'm the first one you have seen come through these doors. And you hear about three or four people go, yeah, right. One guy even says, you guys are a dime a dozen. Another person says, you'll be out of here soon, just like the last ones. And... And I said, wait, hold on a second. I'm not the first? I said, no. I said, wait, so hold on a second. So you're telling me that they've tried to bring other people in here and it didn't work? Interesting. I said, okay, guys, I got a confession to make. I don't know anything about making paper. Look back at Earl. You know anything about making paper? He said, nope. Earl's my co-instructor. And I said, yeah, everybody here, sorry. Earl and I had known nothing about making paper. The manufacturing process, we know nothing about it, we see these machines, they, I don't even know what they do. I said, but I'll t- I tell you this, there's one thing we do know. I do know and I do believe that the answers to solve any issue that you guys are facing are probably within this room right now. I can also make another prediction that you've probably at some point or another tried to share some of those solutions and I'm assuming management loved every moment of it. They listened with a pad of paper and a pen and said, thank you so much for sharing. And they started laughing and I said, Probably not, right? I'm assuming you've probably tried sharing those ideas and they probably felt like they fell on deaf ears. And I said, that's what we know. We understand that process. And I'll tell you this, if we were brought in by your management team, our first conversation was with them. And I usually would have several of the managers in the room. And I told them this, and I had this conversation prior to them, with them, that I was going to say this, is that we knew that we need to help them learn to listen before we could be here. And I look at them, is that correct? And the manager nodded their head. They said, yep, we got a lot of listening to do. All of a sudden now, the people with the newspapers, they're looking at us. Their papers are down. I said, so now I get the frustration. And I'm not, I am go, here's the thing. Today, if you want to have the newspapers up, have them up. If, I get, if you get tired, lay down. If you fall asleep today because I'm boring, that's my fault, not yours. So I want you to feel comfortable standing up. And all of a sudden, everything started kind of shifting because it was different. It was novel, but it was also, they felt heard. And now, did that buy me everything I needed? No, but it bought me a few more minutes of their attention. And every moment after that, I had to keep earning more minutes and more minutes and more minutes. But it came from a place of me understanding where they were and starting their sequence before I had any new ideas. Obviously we had a great time. The event worked out great and everything was awesome, but the goal is to create this emotional safety for the brain. The brain needs to feel psychologically safe and I'll give you three things. You have to create structure, order, and predictability. We're going to talk a lot about those things, safety, structure, order, predictability, but also understanding people need to feel heard and to feel like they value in this world. They, they you value them, they, their opinion matters. Our impact on the world is, is one of the most important things that we can have. And if you deny people's impact, you're denying them their ability to feel like they're connected, like they have significance. And sometimes it's, you know, we work with meter readers at one of the largest energy companies in, in the country, and they wouldn't allow the meter reader, who's right there at the customer, to solve any problems. And guess what? The customers, when they had an issue, they they asked the meter readers, hey, can you you guys know anything about this? And they were instructed, you can't hand them this card and you can't answer questions. The moment that they changed that policy, they allowed them to fix within a certain range, employee engagement, satisfaction went way up. People started liking their jobs because they felt like they could impact the world around them. And so this whole concept is that you have to be able to create that safety first. Now, can you use fear? Yes. Fear works. Man, it works. You can scare people into doing anything. You can guilt them and shame them into doing things. It works. And it'll work one time. And then you got to use it again. And it'll work again. And then you got to use it again. And maybe a little anger. Because that'll get them going. But it's going to cause behavior once. And then you got to use it again. And guess what happens after a while though? If you're always yelling. If you're always using fear people habituate to repetitive behavior and messages uh, that's just how john is he's always yelling and then they just stop listening at a basketball coach tell me this story i said imagine going down the street and dog bar- jumps on barksy scares the crap out of you first time response whoa Whew, okay take a walk down the second street and you kind of forget the dog's there he barks again startles you again not as bad but pretty bad Third time you're going down the street, you know the dog's there. It barks at you. still startles you, but you knew it was there. Fourth time the dog's there, you're going down the street. Fifth day, fourth day, the dog barks. You know it's there. You don't really respond. The fifth day, you don't even hear the dog. Think about that. And what he said was, his tie down was, are you a barking dog as a coach? Are you a barking dog as a leader? Always yelling, always screaming, always guilting people using shame, little jabs with your language. Because if you are, after a while, people will just not hear you anymore. They just won't. Your kids will be like, yeah, 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 whatever. It just doesn't work. And then the good ones, though, they'll leave you. They'll go somewhere else to somebody who listens. If you, don't real, if you don't realize it yet, that money will only get you so far. And it'll buy your attention for a little bit. But after a while, it's not going to buy the heart. It doesn't buy passion. It doesn't buy engagement. just might buy some attention for a little bit. And so what I hope you get from this is we've got to till that soil before you offer the message. You've got to to prepare the listener for what's going on. That's your sequence. There's a lot more to this. We're going to cover this. In each podcast, we're going to dive deeper. But I wanted to start there with the sequence to helping people understand, listen, and hear what you're actually trying to say, whether it be a message, a sales presentation, a value proposition, an apology, you name it. It's an idea from me to you. And if there's no safety, we haven't slowed down to speed up. slowed down to speed up. It's not getting through. So that's all for today. Make sure that you follow us. I think the Neuroside.com or just go to meetrene.com. Each episode drops on Tuesdays. Please, if you liked us, subscribe, share it, we want this message to get out to as many people as we can. The book does launch in April, and uh, if you're thinking about amplify, go to amplifymylife.com. Again, it's also all of this can be found on Meet Renee. It's M E E T, not M E A T, by the way. We should probably own that one just in case, but I'm too scared to search for it. M E E T Renee R E R-E-N-E, N E dot com, and you can find all those links there. And of course, follow on social media at See Renee Speak on Instagram and Facebook. Twitter at Renee Speak. So that's all for today,
1: and we will see you the next time. Thank you for sharing this time with us. If the experience resonated with you, follow us on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or amplifymylife.com. Share it with anyone else who's ready to amplify their lives. And remember, to let our hearts speak in sequence. For more from Renee Rodriguez, visit meetrenee.com.